Okay, can I give you a couple more? Can I give you a couple more? Come on, just, just for fun. All right, so great truths that little children have learned. Uh, here's a few of them. No matter how hard you try, you can't baptize cats. Uh, number two, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. I remember that. I remember, oh, I, that just brought back a bad flashback. Uh, don't sneeze when someone is cutting your hair. Never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. And, uh, don't wear polka dot underwear under white shorts. Okay. So those are pearls of wisdom for you this morning. So uh, don't put up the next slide because I want to ask a question and see if we can extract the, um, the, the answer from God's people. What do you think is God's primary passion? Now just think about it for a moment. What do you believe is God's primary passion? And let me say it right now. Let me say, let me say this. What do you believe his primary passion is right now? Us, love, the kingdom, lost, reconciliation. Say it again. For us to enjoy him, trust him. The church, I, I, all of that's in there. I want to propose to you today that God's primary passion is people. And it's not just all people. It is the people who have not yet come to his son. I know you said that. And you, now that you took credit for it, you get no credit in heaven because you just got your credit on earth. <laughs> for if you desire the praise of men, you will not get the praise of God. So enjoy that. <laughs> I said that. Jesus is like, I already knew you said that. I'd already recorded it. Now I have to erase it. <laughs> That's a world growing. We're all growing. Don't worry about it. God's passion certainly is you and me. But his greater passion are those who have not yet come to his son. You might be here today. You're on God's, the top of God's list. Jesus very clearly said that the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. For those of you who already given your life to Christ, your ticket was bought and paid for, like mine was last night to the Billy Joel concert by Rob Dyer. Thank you, Rob, so much. That was a great gift. It was wonderful sitting there uh, for free, enjoying such marvelous talent. And you and I get to go to heaven for free because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we sit uh, at peace. But then there are those who have not yet come to Christ. And uh, Jesus said to his disciples um, in John chapter 4, when they came to give him some physical food because he hadn't eaten, he said, I'm not hungry. I have food you don't know of. And they said, well, what, what's that? And he said, my, my food is to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is this, lift your eyes and look at the harvest. That's why Jesus came, to seek and save that, to seek and save that which is lost. 
We teach uh, a lot that we are to seek God. But did you know that God is also seeking? He is seeking those who have not yet come to his son. And so God's primary passion is is the salvation of the world. And that's what the whole book of Acts is about, is the salvation of the world. And here's what's great about it. God's heart is, is to reach every single person on the planet. Even the ones that really irritate you. Even the ones you hate. God is seeking them. Whenever I run into somebody and they treat me poorly and I'm really angry at them or they irritate me or I just think they're just annoying, I say this out loud. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. Because I've got to make sure I stay on God's page. Because I annoy people too. And Jesus loves me. We're human. He is divine. His love is unconditional thank god huh i mean that's how you got in come on think about it you're annoying even to god but he loves you so he let you in so we have no stones to throw but here's the thing his primary passion is to reach every single soul on the planet with the good news of forgiveness of sins through his son and he has to use you and me to get that message out which is what rick was saying the love of god He uses ordinary people because there's nobody else to use. I remember one of my former senior associate pastors, Bob Wilhite. uh, He was very distraught at the uh, men and women of the body of Christ who were just uh, not stewarding their ministries well and uh, falling into sin. And just, you know, we've all seen it, right? But we have no stones to throw because we all have sinned. But these guys are in the public eye. And they they have a lot... Of accountability because they're in le- levels of leadership that, that uh, you know, to m- whom much is given, much is required. So my former uh, pastor was on his knees and he says to the Lord, Lord, why do you use these men? You know, whenever you ask the Lord a question that you think is profound and then he gives you an answer that is so simplistic you feel dumb for asking the question. This was one of those times, I'm sure, for Bob. Lord, why do you use these men? And Jesus said, they're all I've got. And that includes you too, Bob, right? And that includes you too. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. We open up with the Lord using the most unlikely crew. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. We're in Acts 13 today. We're going through the book of Acts. If you're here for the first time, start reading the book of Acts. That's where we are. Uh, We are seeing how um, the church is to be behaving today. Because the book of Acts is the church alive, and the book of Acts is still alive right here now through you and through me. Acts chapter 13, 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Okay, this group of people, you could just read that and say, wow, these guys are just amazing. I mean, these are, whenever you read in the Bible... The apostles and the prophets and and Moses and Abraham and Peter and Paul. And we build statues of them and we even kiss their feet if you're, you know, raised the way I was. And you, I mean, you just, you even pray to them. No, 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 no. These are just people. They're just people. Just like you and me. I mean, Peter could cuss better than probably most anybody in this church. 
Well, I forgot. Nobody here cusses. And other churches that I could tell you about. Peter was a fisherman. He was a salty dog. Until he met Jesus and Jesus began transforming the young teenager into an apostle. These are just normal people. They fought. They bickered. They were egotistical, arguing about who's going to be the greatest, denying Jesus, betraying Jesus. I mean, these were just people. So that means we get in too. This group was multiculturally and social economically diverse. Barnabas was a Levite. That means he was a priest from Cyprus. And he labored alongside Simeon, who was a black man, who some believe was the black man that helped Jesus carry his cross. And Lucius, he was a Roman from Cyrene in North Africa. So here we've got a Jewish priest. We have a black man. We have a Roman from North Africa. Then we have Minion. He grew up with uh, Herod the Tetrarch. He grew up with a prince. He grew up with royalty. And he ministers with Saul, who's a Pharisee from Southeast Asia Minor. These are, this eclectic group is just weird. I mean, they would never hang out with one another if it wasn't for the fact that they all came to Christ. And it's just like us. There are friends I have in the body of Christ I never would have picked as my friends in high school. And they would not have picked me. But we find ourselves on the mission field together. We find ourselves in ministry together. We find ourselves hanging out with one another and enjoying one another. Why? Because our commonality is not our personalities. It's our Savior. And he called us to himself and to one another. It's awesome. It's weird. It's dynamic. I mean, Mark and I wanted to kill each other over the years. I don't think, I don't know if we would have ever met and hung out if we had not come to Christ. But because of Jesus, he and I have been hooked at the hip for about 15 years. And man, has it been awesome. We have done some stuff together. We have helped each other grow. We have laughed. We have cried. He's one of my best friends. And he will be until, well, forever. Because we're never going to die. We're just going to go to heaven. But you see, there are divine relationships, divine appointments, and it's not based on color or creed. It's not based on money. It's not based on education. It's based on Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So these guys were thrown together in Christ to partner with Jesus to reach the world. So how do we partner with them to reach the world? Let's go to verse 2. Here's this eclectic group thrown together because of Christ. And it says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. There's five things that we see in this chapter that I'm going to speed preach through that teaches how we as an eclectic group here at the Gathering Place Church can partner with Jesus to reach the world together. Number one is prayer. What were these guys doing? They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now this kind of prayer is different than what we saw in chapter 12 last week, which is intercession. Intercession, if you remember, can I grab you two real quick? Get out of your comfies. All right. I mean, your comfy chair, not your comfies. Okay. We're going to make her God because I just don't see it. I'm sorry. So... (laughs) Here's God. Here's 
a dirty, rotten, desperate sinner. And an intercessor. That, and she loved, he, she, wait a minute, you can't be, yeah, you are God. Well, I'm confused. Theologically right now, I'm a little confused. But anyway, he, she, God, um, uh, has all resources and all love. This person needs help. And so an intercessor grabs the hand of God and the grabs the hand of the desperate person and makes the connection in prayer. That's intercession. Okay? Okay, you can go. I'm still have God here. Okay. That's different than the prayer you see here in the book of Acts. Intercession, you are building a pipeline of provision for a friend. What they were doing was not intercession. What they were doing was simply devotion. And devotion is you've got a, both your hands holding a hold, hold, grabbing a hold of both of God's hands, and you're just loving him. And you say, thank you, God. And you say, I don't have time for that. Nobody's got time for that. Well, that's a huge problem. Because without devotion, all we have is human willpower. And that will not spread the gospel around the world. I want to talk about devotion just for a moment because the devotion is the taproot of intercession. I mean, of, of, of evangelism. As, as uh, Rick was just saying, the world needs men of God who have the love of God to be able to share with everybody they come in contact with. And you might say, well, that sounds kind of sappy. Not to God. God is. God is. God is. And God so loved the world. Love is not, not sissy. Love is the most powerful force on the planet. The way you are a powerful Christian follower of Jesus is by experiencing his love first. And that comes from not intercession, but simply devotion. (sighs) Feels like a waste of time to your human mind and to your things-to-do list. But it is the most powerful. It is plugging in the power drill. Have you ever tried to cut down a tree or a branch or something with a doll saw? I don't know how many of you have tried that, but I've tried it before. And it is laborious. That's what evangelism is like. That is loving your neighbor is like. That is what stewarding God's gift is like. That's what trying to live a holy life is like without being connected to the power source himself. But when you connect that power source, which is just devotion time with God, just soaking in his love and you giving him love back, I'm just like, woo! Man, it, it just, I don't know. It's just the divine love and the divine energy of God begins to, Fill up your soul again, and now you're a power drill. You're a, you're a circular soul. I mean, you just have this divine love flowing through you that wasn't there before you connected with the divine love himself. It's not self-produced. Love for the unlovely is not human. Right? You know I'm preaching good. You know I'm preaching, and you know I'm preaching right to you, too. You know it. I'm preaching to me too. It's, all, it's divine. So devotion, listen, is not getting something from God. It's giving something to God. That's what devotion is. You say, well, what do I have to give God? What do I have to give God? Do you, do you know what you have to give God before he puts it up there? What do you have to give God? You guys are listening well. Heart, love. We'll stop right there. 
And the obedience comes after the heart love. Obedience that is not from I love God is religion. And it's hard. And ah. No. Obedience comes out of love. So when, when you are with him and you're just loving him, we have no idea how much he likes that. He loves that. Loves it. I remember one time I was playing my guitar, worship, just alone, and I heard him say this to me. I love it when you play. And it wasn't because of my skill set. I wouldn't have come up with that because that would just that'd be weird to come up with yourself, right? So those are the kind of thoughts you know come from God. I love it when you play. It's just that exchange. That's why he created us, was to have a relationship with us. And all healthy relationships run on love, not fear, not duty. Like Mark says one time, he got this example out of this marriage book. This guy and his wife went into a marriage counseling, and then he showed up one day after work, front door, and knocked on the door. She opened it. There he is with a bouquet of flowers. She said, flowers? You brought me flowers? Why did you bring me flowers? He said, well, because on page 258 it says I was supposed to. That's what Christianity is like without being touched by the love of God. And, he, and he, he just doesn't like that. He wants it to be from the heart. So what can you give? You give your love. There are times when Hope and I would drive down the road and I'll just grab her hand and hold her hand while I'm driving. Why? I just want to let her know I love her. I mean, that's what bonds the relationship. It's just... Um, an exchange of love without any expectation of anything. The word sacrifice, we think it looks it means to give up, but it actually means to give over. When you let me put this in uh, natural terms, when you take some money and you put it in an investment, you're not giving up your money, right? You're giving over your money and into something. Yeah, that's good. You can say that's right. Amen. Hallelujah. What? So, yeah, of course. It depends on who you invest your money with. That's, that's good input. That's good information. And it ties right into my sermon. So, when you give your money into an investment, that's a good investment. The money transcends itself. It transcends its value and becomes more valuable. You don't give up. Um, you give over. When you give yourself to the Lord in prayer, you are not giving up. You're giving yourself over to someone greater than yourself. And you transcend yourself. And you take on his divine attributes. And you become greater than you would be if you had not been connected to him. That's what sacrifice means and that's what you do in devotion so the first thing they were doing was devoting themselves to the lord isn't that interesting then it says they ministered to the lord as though the lord has needs i mean have you ever looked at that phrase and thought well that's weird they were ministering to the lord we minister to one another and we base that on needs you have a need i'm going to minister to you encouragement the lord doesn't need to be encouraged i'm going to minister to you healing prayer the lord doesn't need to be healed 
It says they were ministering to the Lord. God doesn't need our affection. He wants it. So when you just say, I love you, God, that's why when we come in here, the first thing we do is worship. For those of you missing out on that, you're missing out on the most important part of the day. We are coming here just to say, we love you, God. He loves that. Before he does anything for us or we do anything for him, he just wants us to connect with him in love. And then the divine exchange begins to happen. And you see, immediately I found this. Whenever I connect with the Lord, he always responds. I mean, he's just God. And he's a giver. And he's a blesser. He's our father. Just like you with one of your children. If they came to you just, I mean, I know this is fantasy. But if they came to you just, they didn't want anything at all. Right? They just came up to you and just said, Dad, I just love you so much. And then they just walked away, right? Now, what would be in your mind? Like the other day, I mean, I was with Nana, uh, the, my, my, my wife's mom who lives with us. And uh, Lily and Ava in the back seat started saying, Nana, we like what you're wearing today. That is so pretty. And your hair looks so nice. And then I both looked at each other. I was driving her to the airport. And we both looked at each other. And we both said out of our mouths at the exact same time, what do you guys want? (laughs) And we do that with God. We obey when we want something. We get good when we want an exchange from him. We want something from heaven. And yet these guys were just ministering to the Lord with no agenda other than just the love on God. That's the power cell. That's the power center. That's Christianity right there. But he always responds. And look how he responds. Verse 2 through 4. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me. Now separate to me. See, the Holy Spirit spoke in that atmosphere. In the atmosphere of no agenda. All of a sudden, an explosion happens. Now separate to me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down and they started talking about where they went. What happens after prayer and genuine connection and you gain the heart of God is promotion. Promotion. Not self-promotion, God promotion. I'm going to say this again. Not self-promotion, it's God promotion. There's something in the Bible that we see, and it's right here. The Holy Spirit said, separate to me the work to which I have called, already called. So Saul and Barnabas both knew they had already been called to a work for the Lord. But they had not yet been separated to that calling yet. There's a huge gap in between calling and separation. And I want to say, I don't know the statistics, you know, 75% of all statistics are made up on the spot. There's a lot of people, because of just who we are as human beings, who are not patient enough 
to wait for God to separate us into our calling. He's baking you. He's cooking you. He has you in the oven. He cares more about your character than your comfort or your charisma. He wants you to be a blessing to others. So he can't take a Joseph who's a teenage boy and God gives him a dream. It's in the Old Testament. God gives him a dream that his brothers and sisters and his mother and father are all going to bow down to him. And because of his cockiness, he goes and tells his brothers and his mom and his dad about the dream. That's not a dream you should be going and telling your mom and dad about and your brothers. They already hate you because you're dad's favorite. And you're going to go and tell them, I had a dream last night. You're all going to bow down to me. Dumb, dumb, dumb. And so it took 18 years being falsely accused, thrown into prison, beat up by your brothers, thrown into a pit for him to develop the character to become the prime minister of Egypt when God separated him to his calling. He was called 18 years earlier. David, called by God to be the next king of Israel, 13 years running and living in caves, rejected, abandoned, falsely accused, reputation destroyed, and became the greatest king. Do you think he would have been a great king at 17? There's no way. But when he was ready, according to God's readiness, God said, okay, I'm now ready to separate David or Paul or Moses 40 years I'm now ready to separate him or her to the calling I've already called them to. And here's another interesting point. You notice how it says, separate to me, Paul and Barnabas, to the calling to which I've called them. And it says, so then they laid hands on him. This is church leadership. They laid hands on him and separated him. The next verse says, so the Holy Spirit sent them. This is one of the travesties in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Independent spirit, people that feel they are not appreciated, they're not honored, they're not celebrated but tolerated, but sometimes tolerating is a gift because really you shouldn't even be tolerated because you're intolerable. And I mean that sincerely. There's a phrase, you know, celebrated, not tolerated. I just want to say it's important that we celebrate one another. But sometimes you're being intolerable And so being tolerated is really grace until you and God can work some stuff out in your character and you come to the place where being celebrated is a lot easier than it was, you know, a year ago. Well, that landed flat, but it's true. Because when you buy into something like that phrase, all of a sudden you walk around saying, well, I want to see if I'm being celebrated. And then you get easily offended if you're not, quote, celebrated to the level that you feel you should be celebrated. Well, maybe God's doing a work in you and it's not fun. And maybe he's using leadership to help work that work. If you have leadership who loves you and cares about you, parents who love you and care about you, then it's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to feel like a party. It's called maturity. It's called growing up together. I've gotten, I mean, I have just been helped by my friends. For many years. There are so many times I haven't felt celebrated. But you know what? It's because I needed to grow up. And my friends are telling me the truth. And it doesn't feel good. And then once you submit to that, then you come to a place where you can all celebrate together because we've all grown up together. Can I hear an amen? Because this is, this is really good. What I'm saying right now is really good and it's really true. 
And so these guys, I mean, for Paul, it had been 15 plus years. 15 years. He gets called by Jesus. He tries to preach. It doesn't work. He has to run out of town. And 15 years later, Barnabas goes up and finds him. And Paul was just a disciple at that point. Brings him down to Antioch. They're down there for a couple of years. That's 15 plus a couple of years. And he's just a teacher. And then it says the teachers and prophets in Acts 13 are here worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden he gets separated to be an apostle. So you see a graduation of the calling. He's a new convert. He tries to operate in his calling and he can't. Moses did the same thing. Moses tries to operate in his calling. He murders a guy and he has to run into the desert for 40 years. So you get called and then you're a disciple for a season. And for Paul, it's 15 years. And then he becomes a teacher. Then the Holy Spirit separates him to be an apostle when the Holy Spirit says it's time. And the church is in partnership with the Holy Spirit, releasing people into ministry. That's how it works. Rather than releasing yourself into ministry because you think it's time and it's not and uh, it doesn't work out and it's, uh, it's unfortunate. That was a little side message there for those who needed it. So what is the world's motivation for being promoted is to be blessed. What is God's motivation for you being promoted? To be a blessing. That's why many times it takes a lot longer, a lot longer than any of us think is necessary. Because God is trying to work out of us our primary motivation of being blessed. We're just consumers. We're selfish. We like stuff. It's just who we are. I, I took uh, Josiah to an Ethiopian restaurant for his birthday. We adopted a, 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 my son from Ethiopia. And um, I took him to an Ethiopian restaurant. And I was talking to the owner. And the owner is so gracious and so kind and so generous. And I said, I've never met a people group on the planet as kind and gracious. You, you believe because we went to Ethiopia together, Kirsten. And, uh, and Connie, I've never met a people group that is more gracious and kind than the Ethiopian people. And Toby, you went as well. Amazing. Amazing. And he and I were talking, and I said, is this true? When you have a, a baby, and they're, as soon as they're old enough to get their own piece of bread or food and put it to the mouth, you grab their hand, you make them break it and share it. He said, yes, that's what we do. So Josiah had to come to America to learn the word me, mine. Mine, right? I'm serious. I watched the transformation in my Ethiopian son to be Americanized. I'm sorry to have to say that. It's just true. Can we just tell the truth? It's just true. So we come to God because we have needs, and then we continue to come to God because we have needs. We're consumer, and God's a good God. So God has to put us through a a uh, season after season after season until we come to a place where our motive in life is not to be blessed, but to be a blessing. Once that happens, man, I'm telling you, the faucets in heaven just turn on. I'm going to tell you a, a quick, quick story, and I'm going to have to buzz through the rest of this. When I was in business here in San Diego, we were broke. Then God did a miracle. We prospered, and we really prospered. And so then one uh, weekend, I made no sales. And at that time, I was, I was making a whole lot of sales. And so um, it was odd. And at the end of the weekend, 
I said to the Lord, uh, the, the, any sales I make for the end, by the end of this day, which was Sunday at this point, I'd done Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, all the employees thought something was wrong with me. I've, I've lost my, my edge or whatever. Um, I'll give to this ministry I'm going to go to this next week. I was going to a convention up in Anaheim. And I'll give all, the pro, all, my, all of my commissions to that ministry. We couldn't stop the doors from opening. People were coming in. It was like a river of people. And I could stand up and say, I hate you. And they would buy the product. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the Lord said to me that weekend, he said, I've taught you how to prosper. Now I'm teaching you what it's for. And we, father, son, man, we had so much fun paying people's rent, paying people's car payments, buying tires of people's cars. I mean, we were just, it was so much fun to have the checkbook of heaven. I learned that God is not broke and he loves to give and he loves to give through his people to the world. And I got blessed in the process. Can I hear an amen? So that's what promotion is for. And that's what they were, that's what was happening to Paul and, and Barnabas. Look at these passages. First uh, Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He wants you exalted, but he wants to do the exalting. I think about Rick Higgins this week. We decided in the month of May, we were all going to pray for prayer partners. Grab three people, ask them to pray for you. Don't be prideful. Ask for prayer. And you pray for them as well. And you can do that. I mean, if you know three people that are Christians, today, ask them to pray for you in the month of May. You've got half a month left. And we wanted to hear some testimonies. I just got a text from Rick Higgins, I think this morning or yesterday or something. And he said that, he was not expecting this for anything. He just got a massive promotion at work. Isn't that awesome? We're looking for these things in the month of May. When I said, let's pray for each other in the month of May, because prayer still works. Let's see what God will do. Uh, that's the first one I've heard. Uh, and, 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 it's just, and what I know about Rick, though, is he didn't try to exalt himself. He wasn't pushing for the promotion. He's not being ungodly and lying and cheating and manipulating and trying to make it work for himself. He's humble. We spend a lot of time together, and I know his heart. And he just wants to serve. He just wants to love people. And there are people at his work he just wants to murder, but he hasn't done that. He just submits to authority. He does the best he can for the company. He tolerates when he wants to celebrate, but he tolerates some of the employees. And God has promoted that man right there. Pardon me? Yeah, and that happens when Will prays for you. Because Will is the one that was prayed that in. Woo! Yeah. Um, look at this scripture, Psalm 75, 6 and 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts one, he puts down one and he exalts another. So God wants you exalted. Or he wants you put down. I don't know. It depends on what's going on with you and God. But when God promotes you, it is always for the promotion of the gospel, which is his love to human beings. There's so much meat in this chapter and I just have so little time left. I want to say just in in the area of control issues. And when God promotes you and he puts you into your calling, 
it may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. Paul thought he was going to go to the Jews because who's better? He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was, a, he was, he was the leader in the, in the Jewish world. He was so highly respected, so knowledgeable of the Torah. I mean, a teacher of the teachers. And yet God said, no, I'm calling you to the Gentiles. Peter, who thought he was going to go to the Gentiles, goes to the Jews. So you have to just hold it loosely and obey God. So what's the next thing? Verse 5, let's go. Uh, uh, I, can't, I can't read it, so I'm just going to tell you what it is. As you read down through this chapter, you see that they run into a sorcerer on a particular island. And the sorcerer is trying to stop the proconsul of the island, the leader, the mayor, from believing the gospel and so Paul blinds him. Just for a little while. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And John Mark, who was traveling with him, didn't like it, so he left. He came along just to serve. But I think, I, that's my assumption here. It doesn't say it. I'm arguing from silence. But it seems to be that John Mark didn't like the way that Paul was expressing because sometimes the judgment of the Lord is the mercy of the Lord. But don't get in the way of the gospel. Because God wants his gospel out. And so when people resist the gospel, um, they are eventually going to run into the judgment of God. Because God cares about souls being saved. And the Apostle Paul stood up with authority and release the power of God in this situation. And the proconsul believed and the gospel continued to spread. The power comes with promotion. And it could be supernatural expressions of power like this. It could be the uh, supernatural provision of the Lord financially. That's power. Money is power. We all know that, especially in political season. It could be the supernatural expression of wisdom, like Solomon. When Solomon got promoted, what he needed was wisdom. So God gave him his own wisdom. And so Solomon became the wisest man who has ever lived on the planet. That's power. It could be position where you were able to elevate and give other people platforms and release them. The Bible says, he that is unfaithful and little will be made ruler over much. You know, I think about um, our sister church down in Tijuana, you know, Mario. Uh, I'm gonna, I need to have Mario in our pulpit more often. He is such a precious brother. He is such a good man. And he and I travel down through Mexico. We've been doing it for 20 years. Um, just, uh, just an amazing, amazing man. So God calls him. He had an accident. He was supposed to be paralyzed. He had the, you know, the brace on, you know, and he, you know, with the screws going into his temples, you know, that whole deal, holding it on. And Jesus completely healed him. He still has the indentations from the brace, but he's completely healed. And so God calls him to be a pastor. And he said no. And Jesus said yes. And he said no. And Jesus said yes. And that went on for a while. And then he became a pastor. And so his church started in this little dilapidated building in Tijuana. And his church members was his wife and his two kids. So that was his first meeting. And so he preached his. Kids took up the offering from mom. And, 
And so he's just started faithful and little. Start with what's in your hand right now. Doesn't matter how tiny it is, be faithful. Because that's what Jesus is looking at is your faithfulness, not your talent, not your personality. You can't wow God. He's looking at your faithfulness. And that's what you're going to be rewarded for in heaven when you see him face to face is not all that you did, but did you do what I told you to do? That's called faithfulness. So Mario was faithful in that little church with just his family. And today, show this picture of Mario. He's got a Ph.D. in theology. And he told me that he wanted, he's got a rocking church in Tijuana that has become the model church of the 75 churches we serve throughout Mexico. He's the model church now. And he said to me a few years ago, I want to start a seminary. I want to go all throughout our churches in Mexico and I want, to, I want to teach guys the Bible, pastors the Bible, and give them degrees and raise them up. And I said to him, I don't think that's going to work. That's what I said. As the apostle over the ministry, and he is uh, like, we're like Saul and Paul. I'm going to Paul and Barnabas. And so Barnabas is saying, hey, I'm going to go teach the pastors. I'm going to give, you know. I said, no, nah, they're not going to do it. They're, you know, they're, they're poor and they live in remote areas. And blah, 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 blah. So he just graduated 58 pastors and assistant pastors from his first class. It's... He's just, God is promoting him and giving him power. And he is uh, spreading the gospel all throughout Mexico and releasing uh, men and women to continue preaching the gospel. And I'm going to close with this. Uh, these last two things. The thing we love the most comes next. After you have prayed and connected with Christ and you got his heart, then he will promote you and give you platform when it's time, his timing, his timing. Then with that comes his power, his divine resources to make sure you are equipped to do his will throughout the earth. Then the next thing that always comes, which is our favorite part, is persecution. It's just part of it. Don't wah, wah. Don't call the ambulance. It's just part of advancing the kingdom of God. Paul said after he got the crud beat out of him in a few cities, he said, this is his new mantra. We, um, we, we must all suffer to enter the kingdom of God. Right? Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Those are what he said. Jesus told him when he called him, before he separated him. He said, I have shown Paul the things he must suffer for my name's sake. Look, suffering is part of the Christian life. We're in a spiritual battle. You realize that, right? You're in the marketplace. Your family members. Isn't it weird how your in-laws just all of a sudden became demonic once you gave yourself to Christ? And they just like these things came out and they just, you know, ah. I, that's what happened to me. I got saved and all of a sudden my friends from high school, they just, I remember one time they called me on the phone, the party line. Remember the party line? You know, before, yeah, party line. Those that are under 40 have no idea what we're talking about. They got on a party line and they just like jumped on me and just, I was, I didn't even understand spiritual warfare. I was a new believer. But now when I can look back and say, I know exactly what that was. That was the enemy possessing all my friends to try to shame me and get me to back off the gospel. I mean, it's just part of it. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be falsely accused. You're going to be maligned. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated. You're going to be called names, bigots and judgmental and narrow-minded and 
you know, I mean, all those, to say, oh, well, yeah, I knew this was coming. Rather than being shocked by it and getting all butt hurt, right, just be a Christian. All right. Yeah, I just said that from the pulpit. I think the anointing lifted like five minutes ago. And now it's just John talking, which is no better than a donkey. So I will stop with this. The last thing is, if you will endure persecution as a believer in your place of work, don't play the martyr, don't play the victim. If you will endure persecution, which comes with the territory of being a believer who wants to share the love of God with the world through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. If you will, if you will endure persecution, then it will, it will result in the prevailing of the gospel of Jesus to the world. And that is what God is all about. Every single soul on the planet hearing about his son so they can receive forgiveness for their sins and have free access into heaven. I want to ask you this morning, just close your eyes for a moment. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't know that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you just think God doesn't like you. Maybe you've blown it so bad you think there's no way God will ever accept me. You are, you are the most qualified in the room today to receive the free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't go to the worthy, it goes to the unworthy. The way you qualify for salvation is that you don't deserve it. Jesus is your Savior. And he is the only hope you have. And if you accept him as your Savior this morning, the first thing will happen is all of your sins will be wiped out. And God won't even remember them. He promises you that. And you will know for the first time in your life the peace of God. That's his gift to you. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not the peace the world gives to you. My peace I give to you. But you have to receive it. So if that's you this morning, and you want to accept Jesus as the Savior of your life, for the forgiveness of your sins, free gift. Will you raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus today and have my sins completely wiped out so I can become a child of God. If that's you, will you raise your hand right where you are? Raise it up really high so I can see it. I see your hand back here. Go ahead and just put that straight up. Just be bold. I see your hand. Thank you. I Thank you for your boldness. I respect that. Jesus respects that. Jesus loves you. Anybody else raise your hand and say, that's me. I need my sins forgiven. I need to know I'm right with God. Anybody else? Okay. I want you guys to pray this prayer out loud with me, especially for the the one that just raised her hand. Just pray this out loud. And you who raised your hand, pray this because you're in the family of God now. So we're all doing this together. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I cannot earn my way to heaven. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I've sinned against myself. But that doesn't matter. 
Because today, I'm making you my Savior. And I give you my life. And I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate our friend's salvation this morning? Woo! Boom! Yes! Woo! Yes, 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 yes. Okay, now, for the rest of you, assuming that you are saved, application point. I want to ask you, with, with all the passion of my heart, to start carving out some devotion time between you and Jesus. You can't stay an unplugged Christian. It's just murderous. It's spiritually just brutal to try to live on the planet as a Christian without being connected to the source. So I'm going to ask you, in the month of May, Carve out, even if it's five minutes, just time where you're not asking Jesus for anything. That's how this chapter started. That's how the explosion began. They just were ministering to the Lord. When thoughts come to your mind and praying for somebody, don't do it. I'll get to them later. I just want to tell you I love you. If you can just begin to carve out that devotional pocket there between you and Jesus, you're going to come back and kiss me on the mouth and say thank you for three times. I'm telling you, I'm 